Yo, yo, what's happening, JB? How you doing, mate? We're back with the blueprint, another episode. What's going on? Yes, sir. We're bringing the heat today. We got Claudine on. She's been working her ass off to make sure the career information is accessible for everyone. So let's get into it. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Had a had a pretty busy weekend. How about yourself? How's things been? Yeah, pretty intense, but can't complain. Uh, good busy rather than anything else. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll dig into everything about career over the course of the episode. I imagine that's what's keeping you busy. Yeah, pretty much. Um, there's also life stuff, but mostly career stuff. I suppose after a while, it kind of blends into one, does it? Or do you find ways to kind of keep them keep them separate? Yeah, I mean, they're separate to some extent because they're just different things. So, like, I'm getting married later this year, so they don't oh, really blend. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, Congrats. Yeah, thanks. That's huge. Um, yeah, it is huge, actually, <laughs> in terms of the amount of work to plan. Yeah, yeah, there's not that much crossover. Um, like, friends and family aren't, you know, involved in career stuff, so... Cool. So, Claudine, to start off, I think uh, it would be really interesting to first hear, like, how did you, because for a bit of background, Claudine and myself met um, on the New Entrepreneurs Foundation course, and you had, you you come into that program with Career Year already set up and started, right? You're one of the few mm-hmm. people I felt that had had their startup already rolling. Mm-hmm. So, how did, how did you find sort of the opening in the market for something like Career and decide right this is something I want to do because if I'm not mistaken prior to that you were a lawyer I was yeah so so what's what's your story how did you go from like the nine to five or whatever hours you were working in law to then decide to take the jump into the startup world um it's a bit of a long-winded story actually and it it wasn't it's not a straightforward kind of um going from that straight to jumping into startup world um so I basically had um a little bit of a less than straightforward journey getting into law in the first place so I didn't you know have connections I didn't have a network I didn't have that much insight into um, the career in law, access to different opportunities and so on. I didn't at the time realise that that's what everyone else had, but I later realised that that's kind of the way the world works. Um, And so when I kind of got to my law firm, having overcome some of these challenges myself by just kind of, I guess, being quite proactive and quite tenacious in terms of seeking out opportunities and not letting life circumstances um, kind of get in the way of things. So just for context, I kind of left home when I was quite young, and uh, yeah, I was quite independent at, at quite a young age. And so just had a kind of all sorts of different challenges to deal with on top of studying as well. And so when I got to my law firm and kind of realised that this thing around, I guess, really being the exception to the rule, um, I wanted to kind of do something about it and create something that was a workplace that was a bit more diverse, more inclusive, um, more accepting of people from different backgrounds and more open and accessible to people with different backgrounds. But equally, I also wanted to make sure that the support was available to, I guess, kind of people like me to upskill, to prepare, um, to get the insights that they need to make the right decisions about what they want to do and so on. And so started doing that work whilst I was still practicing a whole range of different things um, under a nonprofit that I was um, running, which involved insight days, mentoring, workshops, all of those kinds of things, as well as getting involved on the um, business side of things with, with the law firm that I worked at, but also a range of other different professional services firms and, and broader than that, other companies, being a diversity and inclusion advocate, speaking on panels, advising senior members of staff around attracting and retaining talent, sitting on diversity and inclusion committees, um, all sorts of things. And then as a result of 
doing all of that uh, got to a point effectively where I realized that there was a lot of work to be done, <laughs> a lot of problems to fix in that space and saw an opportunity to kind of use technology to, to, to work on all of that. And even at that point, um, I think when I reflect on what I then went about doing, I was quite clearly kind of building an MVP and doing it in quite a lean startup way and all the rest of it. But I didn't have any clue about any of that at that time because I did not come from a tech background or anything. Um, startup world was um, completely foreign to me. And so, yeah, I kind of just got started because I had I saw a problem that I wanted to solve and set about trying to solve it. So you mentioned when you first went in to the legal world, you encountered obstacles yourself which then later on down the line inspired you to then help other people who are encountering these. Could you talk more about what those were? Like what exactly did you did you encounter when you first came in and what were the main challenges that you found? Yeah, so like I said, part of it was kind of getting in in the first place. So mm-hmm. just not knowing where to start in terms of trying to kind of get the right advice and trying to figure out kind of how to enter that, that sector. So yeah, for example, you know, getting into law in particular, there are extensive uh, applications that you have to do to work at some of the top city law firms. And really until you kind of really start speaking to lawyers who have been there, done it, understand those applications, understand what's expected of law firms, you just can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's things like that. And then getting in, it's that kind of imposter syndrome. So not having people that look like you, um, not having people that sound like you, that you can relate to in conversation because your interests are just so different yeah. Um, not having that kind of social capital side of things. And so just feeling, I guess, yeah, like a bit of a foreigner, like you're you're just a bit alien to, to that the space that you're in um, and very uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, I think that's some of the some of the challenges I experienced. I guess that's some of the less explicit stuff. And that's obviously separate to more explicit stuff with kind of microaggressions and yeah. um different forms of discrimination and things like that. That yeah, that I saw that um colleagues saw and things like that. So it's interesting you say that the first two points you made, because I think I experienced both of those when I was working in venture capital as well. The first of which I was uh, being connections. I remember speaking to my manager because uh, we, we would only invest in companies that sort of had established the product market fit and had revenues coming in. And I was like to my manager, I was like, hey, man, like to get to this point, you you need to have a considerable amount of investment, right? But people don't invest in you unless you already have some sort of uh, some sort of traction. So what's the best way to, to get investment? And he was like, just shrugged his shoulders. was like, yeah, connections, to be honest. Just need connections. Mm. And I was like, well, what are you supposed to do if you don't have any connections? He's like, don't know, you need to get lucky. Um, yeah. so that, that was one. And then the second one, I think I can really relate to imposter syndrome when everyone around you is so different to anyone you've ever encountered before. And you're just mm. like, what, what am I supposed to do or say with these people? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's a, that's a great point you picked up on as well, Claudine, which is that you're clearly very proactive when you go into the legal environment. Would you say that is your biggest separator and perhaps something that other people should learn from to kind of not sit back and take the situation at face value and really make those changes for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think I often get asked by mentees like how I dealt with it all. And I think first and foremost, it was being excellent at what I do. And so, yeah, for me, it was really important that I was the best lawyer um, that I could be. And that, and using that as kind of my starting point, part of that is kind of being proactive because, you know, you have to kind of take those steps to kind of learn your craft, hone your craft, build relationships, um, which, as we've just discussed, is, is harder, um, or at least feels harder 
because you don't have that those similarities to be able to kind of connect with people and so on. Um, but that's what I did. Um, and I think on top of that, I pretty early on felt that I was going to quit because I wasn't going to be able to assimilate and, and fit in and, and so on. And so I had real concerns about that and got advised by one of my supervisors at the time to kind of just be myself and don't worry about it. Um, and I kind of internalized that and, and really took that on board and, and was myself and was quite vocal about who I am, how I'm different, owning my difference and embracing my difference. And I guess kind of in the end, like using that to my own advantage rather than kind of trying to fit into the mold um, of what I saw around me. And how was that met initially when you were kind of truly yourself and perhaps didn't blindly conform to kind of what the environment demanded of you, if that makes sense? How was the reaction within the workplace? Um, I think largely positive, but because of the first point. So I think I put myself in a position where, where it would be very difficult to... It doesn't work all the time because um, I've seen yeah. examples where it hasn't worked. But if you put yourself in a position where you are absolutely excellent at what you do, your yeah. clients love you, partners think you're great because you're, you know, hitting your billables and you're impressing their clients and so they're happy... And I think also externally, obviously, because of the work that I was doing in terms of the advocacy and so on in relation to diversity and inclusion um, and becoming a somewhat of a mouthpiece, not obviously not officially or anything like that, but I was very, very visible. And so I, I think it makes it you put yourself in a position where it's then much more difficult for um, that to be not well received, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, sense. I have seen examples where it's less well received and, and, you know, you get people that are jealous of the attention that you might be getting and try and hold you back in other ways and that kind of thing. But that wasn't my experience. I had quite a positive experience as a result of that. No, it's fantastic. I think as well. You kind of touching on points where, especially in corporate environments, I've learned and others have learned, so writers learned as well, that you don't want to put yourself in a position where you're kind of antagonizing anyone. You want to create a very positive environment. I'm very happy that you've managed a way to do that because I think a lot of people find it quite hard in corporate situations to actually accomplish that. Yeah, and it is hard. It's, it's so complex. Um, I don't miss it. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> None of us do. <laughs> Was there a point then when you kind of thought, okay, legal profession isn't for me anymore. I need to do this full time. What was the kind of trigger for that? Um, that was actually very, very recent. Um, so I, yeah, originally kind of running career, but was still very much practicing. I then realized that I can't do both well and yeah. that I was more passionate about building career, but I hadn't let go of law. And so what I did was I negotiated a sabbatical. I took some time out from my legal career to go off and, you know, find a team, build things up. And then my plan at that point was to then kind of have a bit of a portfolio career. So part-time lawyer, part-time entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, not really thinking about it from a kind of tech startup, high growth, fast growth perspective. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I did that. Um, I ended up extending my sabbatical. So I ended up taking in total about a year and I think it was a year, a year and nine months out of my career uh, whilst I built career. And when, then when was this? Like, what was the timeline? So that was August 2018 okay. um, till just before the pandemic, actually. Right, <laughs> so okay. I think in February 2020, I was like, OK, I'm ready to go back to to, love, to law now. Um, and I'll go and do that part time. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> yeah, perfect timing. Um, and I did explore going back to my law firm, but it wasn't quite the right fit for what I wanted to go and do. So I decided I'll go in-house and ended up joining another startup, an ag tech startup 
called WeFarm, uh, where I was in-house counsel there until uh, end of September 2021. So um, yeah, I was there part-time and then running career part-time. And yeah, as I said, it's not until um, really the beginning of October last year that I've gone full-time and not looked back in terms of, you know, I, I haven't even renewed my practicing certificate, so I'm officially <laughs> not a practicing lawyer anymore. Um, but yeah, as I said, that's quite recent. Well, Congratulations, I guess. Um, becoming a full-time entrepreneur Claudine, is there any like what are the main skills that you developed over your career in law that you found transferred very well into becoming a ceo founder of your own company well that's a really good question so there's a few things i think um, analytical skills um and so that's something that kind of is almost innate now <laughs> within me analyzing things from different lenses um, and really kind of thinking things through and not just kind of in terms of the black and white side of things, but also thinking about things strategically. Um, So if I think back to my legal days and thinking about, so I was a litigator and so you really have to kind of think about what your litigation strategy looks like. And, you know, if you take X step or if you write X letter in X way, what is that going to mean for how, how is the other side going to receive that? And what, what, tool might they kind of pull out of their toolbox to bring against you and like you're always kind of thinking about all the different kind of moves and trying to kind of stay one step ahead Mm -hmm. and so I think that's definitely been something that's um incredibly valuable I think one of the other key things is approach to risk so Mm -hmm. I think generally lawyers tend to be very very risk averse and so it's quite odd actually because I think I can put my entrepreneur hat on and say F it (laughs) and be like very much kind of yeah, let's just go for it and see what happens. But I equally am able to think about and consider like what is the risk here um, in quite a measured way as well. Right, okay. um, so it's kind of given me kind of the best of both worlds from that perspective, um, for sure. So that, that one being as opposed to kind of diving right in and just jumping in head first and hoping for the best. Yeah, exactly. I think I think there's I think there are certain circumstances where you know you're trying to move very quickly or whatever, where you don't want to sit around really kind of overthinking, overanalyzing, um, taking ages to make a decision and taking ages to, to take action. And so I think because I'm quite entrepreneurial and always have been quite entrepreneurial, I'm able to kind of think about that and and just kind of run with it. But I think on the because of my legal training, I'm equally able to assess the situation and think about is this one of those situations where I do need to really sit down and think about what those risks are and I'm able to kind of really sit down and and work through what the, what those risks look like and how I'm going to mitigate those things so yeah makes sense makes a lot of sense and uh, how, how did you find it you said or you implied there was a kind of period where you were juggling a full-time career as a lawyer with your startup how did you kind of deal with those challenges did you kind of have an operating partner maybe or a co-founder that you worked with how did I do it? I, I, I honestly don't know because I'm struggling now and I'm working full-time on career. <laughs> like, how did I do this when I had a full-time job? Right, I don't understand. Yeah. I do remember kind of like waking up at 4am before work, doing some work there, mm. working evenings, working weekends, frankly, working during the day. So yeah, there was a kind of a lot of context switching constantly um, and just creating time, usually at the expense of sleep. Beginning of 2019, whilst I was kind of just started my sabbatical, I found my co-founder. So she joined then. She equally was also working full-time and kind of fitting it around day jobs. So we were kind of, um, well, I I had a bit more freedom at that point because I was on sabbatical. So I was able to kind of do stuff on a full-time basis. But um, having her help on the kind of, she's on the kind of product tech side of things. 
And so, yeah, that made things a lot more manageable, obviously, because one, I didn't have the tech expertise in the first place, but two, it just meant that, yeah, extra pair of hands to run with that, but also kind of dipping on, on other areas as well. Um, and then together we started kind of building out the, the team. So yeah, certainly having having a, a co-founder has been incredibly helpful, but it's still been insane because yeah, like we're not kind of completely full-time hands on deck. And how difficult, Claudine, was it to find a technical co-founder? Like, did you know what you were looking for in their skill set? Because you said that clearly from our discussion thus far, like your background wasn't in a technical field. So how hard was it to find a technical uh, co-founder? And um, what was that process like? Well, it was actually impossible for me. (laughs) So my co-founder is actually a product manager rather than an engineer. And I did set out trying to look for a kind of CTO, software developer, um, and just couldn't do it. I, yeah, was kind of looking for quite a while. I, the way that I kind of went about it was speaking to techie people I guess and just really trying to kind of understand what we ought to be looking for um looking at other job descriptions as well um and kind of figuring it out from that perspective but yeah as I said we I you know I signed up to all sorts of different communities where you're supposed to be able to find co-founders and sharing sharing job specs on different job boards and things like that and just wasn't able to really find much and quickly realized that everyone was looking for technical co-founders and so it's really tough (laughs) I had a conversation with a good friend of mine um who has been in kind of startups and tech for a while and he's a product manager um and he suggested that rather than looking for a um software engineer as a co-founder why don't I look for a product manager instead and so I changed things up and started looking for that instead. Um, and the whole time, a lot of the advice that I got was, you know, look inside your network and you'll find someone inside your network, which I used to get so frustrated by because I was like, my network is not tech. What are you not understanding? It was just so annoying. Um, and I'm like, speak to the people you went to uni with. I was like, I did law at uni. So I went to uni with legal people, like you're not getting it. And so, yeah, looking for this product manager and um he helped me kind of figure out the job spec for it and and everything and then I basically blasted it so I sent it to everyone on my whatsapp and I was like look I know you don't do product or well for some of them I was like I know you don't do product but I'm just sharing this with you just in case you happen to know someone that does some people I was like I don't even know what you do but I'm sharing this with you just in case you know someone that can help (laughs) you and there was there was this one girl who I had met um a few months beforehand at a um at the Black British Business Awards um event and um we had got chatting there it was actually a group of us who got chatting and then I think we went for drinks a couple of months later and just generally like stayed in touch but not particularly closely and um, so I sent it to her um and she turned around and was like oh I'm a product manager do you, want, do you want me to help you with the job spec a little bit and so we went back and forth making some more changes to the job spec and then she was like oh this looks really good and I was like great thanks do you know anyone that can, can now do this role? Um, and she was like, no, this looks really good. Like, I, I'm interested. Um, and that's my co-founder. So that's how I met her. That's how she came on board. And it ended up, after all of the advice, being someone from my network. <laughs> Amazing. Can you just do a kind of a touch on what a product manager is exactly? Because I think it's quite a black box to a lot of people looking in, and particularly the listeners. I appreciate exactly where you're coming from. You'd immediately look for kind of a CTO or a dev. So what exactly is the difference between that and a product manager? So a product manager isn't, basically is not a software engineer. So they are not going to be coding and building your your product. Um, What they are able to do, and particularly with my co-founder, where she's a bit more technical, is that she does understand 
the technical aspects of, of what it takes to build products. So in terms of like really thinking about architecture and the different tools and thinking about DevOps and all of that kind of side of things. Um, but generally speaking, a product manager's job is to um, build and lead the, the, the team that kind of builds your product. So thinking about um, everything from understanding what your users actually want and, and who they are and how they're going to be using their, using your product how the engineers are therefore building it, the architecture behind that, um, and kind of managing those developers, managing the designers, and making sure that feedback loop, loop in terms of what your users want is, is really reflected in, in the product. Um, so yeah, product manager is, is what it is. It's, it's managing that, that product cycle from end to end. Great. And then when you hired your co-founder, did you find that she obviously opened up a lot of doors in that regard to devs and people who were very well suited to kind of actually fleshing out your product? Um, so the way that we went about it is that, so I had already built a product. Um, I had found a developer on Upwork who helped me build the, the first version. So I found her having already had, uh, got a mobile app that was up and running. We had users and so on. So she joined. Um, and then the next phase was then looking at, okay, how do we build it from here? How do we kind of continue to develop it? Um, and after a few months, she decided that what I built was a load of crap. So she wanted to scrap it and start again, which was fine. That's what we did. <laughs> she killed the whole thing. And so we started again from scratch. And so with her technical expertise, it was much easier to then find quality engineers that can kind of come on board yeah. on a project basis to then build out that, what I guess, like MVP 2.0. And so, yeah, so she kind of helped us find a back-end and a front-end engineer. I think actually the first front-end engineer we had um, was one of her colleagues who just kind of stepped in and just helped us build. And then we then found another front-end engineer to take over. Um, and those, yeah, those two have been on board the whole way through. Um, we then kind of got, went through a phase of integrating um, labor market intelligence data, which required us to have a machine learning engineer as well. And so, yeah, again, that was someone that she'd worked with previously, which was able to bring on board. So, yeah, it made quite a big difference in terms of that network piece and opening that up, but also using her expertise to kind of say, well, these, this is the skills that we want. These are the languages we want people to, to have. This is what, this is, these are the frameworks we want people to have experience using and so on, which is, is all stuff that I was still learning. So it sounds like it would have been an immense relief for you having someone like that come onto your team. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but you, met, you mentioned that you went on to Upwork and had something built. I know a few people, including myself, who have hired teams off Upwork. What was it mm. about what they built that meant you had to completely scrap the whole thing? Yeah, so it was mostly an architectural thing. I think architectural and then also like the quality of the code. Um, so obviously I had no idea about any of this. I just looked at physically what what had they built? Does it work? Does it look how I asked it to, to look? Um, and at that point, that's what I was really concerned about. And it did. But I, I had taken the approach from the very beginning anyway, that what I wanted to do was just get this done pretty much as cheaply as possible because I didn't have that much money to spend on it. Um, so get it done as cheaply and as quickly as possible, put it out there and then I can go from there. And if, if it is a solution that works then I can like invest more money into it and, and really build it out. And so ultimately I think it was fine that, you know, the architecture was crap or the quality of the code was crap or whatever, because it was yeah. never really something that was, I was expecting to be around long-term without any changes or without any further investment. And I did it for dirt cheap. I don't think I spent more than a couple of grand on that first version. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what, where we got to. So it was actually useful in your eyes to actually get that MVP up and running just to validate your idea, correct? 
Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. That's kind of how I thought about it then. And then since obviously deep diving into kind of tech startup stuff, it's like, that's like rule 101, yeah. <laughs> um, building your MVP and, you know, building something that's valuable, but cheap, fast, all of that kind of stuff. And that's mm. just the approach that I took quite naturally. I guess mostly because I was forced into that. I didn't have money or time to do anything different. So, yeah. So if we, if we fast forward the career year today, where are you guys at and what's keeping you busy? And what's the next six months to one year look like? Um, yeah, so Career Today um, effectively is a holistic careers platform that supports career starters and career changers to navigate world of work, figure out what they want to do, um, either as their kind of first step into their career or their next step, um, and really kind of access better paid and better quality work. So our focus on people from underserved communities, mm-hmm. uh, low income backgrounds, or people that are kind of on a low income um, and just really kind of supporting them to, to achieve their full potential. As I said, I mentioned before, we've kind of got the data-driven side of the platform, then also a kind of community element as well, where you can kind of gain insights from, from real people and access different opportunities and so on. In terms of what's next and what's coming up, um, I think a mixture of things on, on the product side in particular, that's building out our roadmap so that we are really doubling down on building something that's incredibly valuable for the user, so for the career seeker. We want to be the go-to platform if you're thinking about if you're thinking about your career, you're using career ear to make those decisions yeah. um, and then access those opportunities. So first and foremost, our priority is just making sure that we are continuously developing um, the product and in a quite an iterative way to make it highly personalized and highly valuable for those individuals. So that's really the focus over the next kind of six to 12 months. And then uh, separate to that, it's kind of thinking about the collaborations. Um, and the network that we're building around that, because um, that kind of drives our, our platform. It's interesting because this this company almost personifies your journey in the professional world because it's like you're creating the network that you wish you had when you first joined. Yeah, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. a lot of what we've done and 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 the journey with Career has been fueled by my own experience. Um, so it's very much a response to lived experience, but it's evolved over time based on. I guess the, the the market that we're in, who we're actually trying to support, and that kind of user research as well. So, for example, we're not particularly focused on getting people into um, careers in law. For example, it's yeah, a lot of it is kind of we're now kind of very active in the digital media sectors and into into roles that don't require professional qualifications. Right, I so, see. Yeah. So, can you maybe like expand on kind of broadly the monetization strategies you employ? You know, how, how are you creating revenue of this? Is it primarily a software kind of service or more personal driven services? Yeah, so it's um, largely through working with different employers. So um, employers want to engage with the particular types of groups that we support. And so, yeah, we kind of have these structures in place for working with them on those things. Like a middleman. In terms of sharing. Like a middleman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're the platform in the middle that sits in the middle and we're bringing those stakeholders together. So, yeah, that's kind of how it works. Great. So how did you kind of build those relationships with the employers? How did you kind of set about it? And how did you continue to grow your uh, customer base? I think partly because I've been in the space for quite a while in terms of diversity, inclusion, talent, that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, already kind of had relationships or at least visibility amongst uh, quite a few different employers. And then beyond that, it's been, you know, people hearing me speak at events and things like that. Um, referrals is a lot of our stuff is with people kind of making introductions to employers for us or referring employers to us 
and then yeah and then beyond that we're kind of only just starting really to to look at um our outbound strategy a lot of it it's just all been kind of inbound and um introductions related to that in terms of covid have you seen any kind of uptick in any requests or customer base expansion in that time perhaps even through the users but also the uh the employers you know has there been kind of any discernible dip yeah so pre-covid we were actually only focused on career starters um, so people kind of leaving compulsory education, not going to uni, but wanting to go into work, maybe find an apprenticeship or an entry level role. During COVID, we got a like ridiculous, I guess, uptick in people reaching out saying, you know, I have just been furloughed or I've just been made redundant. I don't know what to do next. Or, I need like support with how I kind of navigate through all of this. Or actually, I've been reflecting and I do not want to do the career I'm in. I, I don't know, I'm in HR, but I think I want to now go into marketing or I now want to go into teaching or whatever. How do I, is, is the platform for me too? And so we made quite a few changes um, during the pandemic so that we could open it up to career changes. And that's where we kind of started working with adults. Um, we did a, we managed to get some support from, um, financial support from Nesta and the Department of Education to kind of integrate the, the data-driven side of our platform as well and, and look at how we then, um, and build out these kind of skills assessment chatbots as well and look at um, how we can then support um, low-income adults. So that was a, um, a quite a big change for us in response to just the kind of the need, basically. And then I would say certainly in the last six plus months, you might be aware that the, the market has changed in terms of recruitment. So there are millions of vacancies and that, that number is continuing to rise, but the number of candidates available for those vacancies is quite scarce. And so we are finding that employers are increasingly under even more pressure to try and fill some of these roles because there's, there's such a massive cost to these, va- these vacancies going unfilled. Um, but equally, they're still under pressure to make sure that they are building diverse and inclusive teams. And so we're definitely seeing an increase in kind of inbound inquiries from employers kind of wanting to look at how they can get their one get their roles filled but also um how can we go about getting our roles filled by um as diverse a pool of, of talent as possible um so yeah so the pandemic has interestingly i guess been positive in that sense i don't want to obviously undermine the impact of the pandemic um across the board but we have had some positives coming out of that which is which is good but yeah i think it's, it's certainly been a challenging time Generally, I mean, pretty much everyone on our team has, has been down with COVID and there's been kind of challenges from that perspective that we've just kind of had to work our, work our way through. But yeah, it's, it's been an interesting couple of years. Pauline, what's driving the increase in vacancies? Why is there so many more? It was well, a mixture of things. So it's partly because there are a growing number of companies being created. So yeah, there, there are just more businesses than there ever have been before. Companies are obviously looking to grow. Companies are investing more in technology and needing uh, and, and changing the way that they work. And so needing uh, talent to come in and, and do those things. And so if you, for example, think about cybersecurity, cybersecurity 20 years ago, fine. It's, you know, it's a thing. It's, it's still something that companies need to um, have people doing, but it was nowhere near as prevalent as what it is today, where you might have like entire cybersecurity departments and teams working on making sure that the technology and the products that um, a company have are secure and are not at risk and and therefore data of, of clients and customers isn't at risk and so on. And so there are, I think there are increasing kind of threats from that perspective where it just means that you just need more people 
um, with the right expertise to be coming on board. And then that leans into the skills gap challenge. So there are these vacancies and they are going unfilled for a longer period of time and there's still more vacancies coming through. And so that number ends up growing rather than shrinking because those vacancies aren't being filled quickly enough. I see. And this is just, I guess, completely different topic of conversation. But if you were to give advice to somebody who's working in the nine to five world that wanted to take a dive into the the startup ecosystem or kind of find something new, let's say that the type of person we're talking about unfulfilled, you know, dreams of a better future, doesn't really enjoy their current present. What kind of advice would you give them? Okay, so I think there's I think there's a couple of things, and it completely depends on the person, their circumstances. Um, so you know, not everyone has the privilege of being able to say, "Can I swear on this?" Yeah, go <laughs> I, was yeah, say, I was about to say fuck it, but I was like, "Wait, this is being recorded." Um, <laughs> not not everyone has the privilege of being able to just drop their nine to five and say, "I'm going to start a startup," right? So I so I think there's a variety of ways. If you are privileged enough and you have got a um, you know you know and understand deeply a problem that needs to be solved then go for it like start get started that doesn't mean you have to quit your job tomorrow as well you can start it on the side you can think about it as a side hustle to kind of get yourself started and I think most people can do that as well regardless of your circumstances in terms of kind of coming up with uh, setting yourself up to kind of run a side hustle and just start exploring and and find a way of of navigating that world and, and seeing if it's something that could be for you um, the other kind of obvious way of, of trying to kind of get your foot in the door and, and learn a bit more about it all is joining a startup. So still a nine to five, maybe a nine to seven. Yeah, getting involved through a startup that someone else is already building. So the risk is, isn't there from, from your perspective, but you are able to understand that world and, and, and start learning. So I think that's, that, that would be my advice. But I, I like people that take action. So my, my first thing would be do it, do something. Um, but it's figuring out what, what that something will be that, that works for you. Great advice, yeah. And of course, if you want to, uh, any listeners out there, if you want to join a startup, please head to career.com. Uh, at the moment. There we go, .co.uk. <laughs> we have live roles, so that's a good shout. But listen, clearly, it was an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for talking to us. Um, James, no anything you wanted to ask? No, that's it from me. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. Very busy woman. No appreciate you jumping on the call today. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. And congratulations again for your future wedding. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. All right. Speak Great. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.